0: Hello from ABA Tech Show 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Lawrence Coletti, Jason McNeil, Stanley Lewisott, and we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. We're closing out our coverage for the ABA Tech Show 2019 on the first day. And I've got everybody here. Uh, So I've got Stanley and Jason joining me. Uh, You guys just just completed your presentation is that correct correct so it was titled firewalls for today's law office but before we get into that let's uh, learn a little bit more about you now stanley you're a returning guest I'll start with you where do you work what do you do
1: all right i'm stanley lewis I'm principal and founder of fluid designs we're based in union new jersey we are full service it consulting firm specializing in law firms predominantly with some e-discovery mobile forensics and some of that other fun stuff
0: Awesome, and Jason?
1: I'm
2: the founder of Stronghold Cybersecurity, which is based out of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We have clients all over the country that range from uh, very large to very small, and what we do is strategic cyber risk management. Uh, before I started the company, I worked for the White House Communications Agency for the last 12 years, uh, you know, working in buildings with no windows, surrounded by barbed wire and machine guns and
1: that sort of high security stuff, so security is what I do.
0: So if you guys wouldn't mind, just give us the 50,000 foot on the your presentation titled Firewalls for Today's Law Office.
1: What we were talking about is one of the big differences between having these consumer-grade devices versus business-grade devices, right? Um, That is a predominant thing that people tend to go to, you know, your best buys or your staples and pick something up. Um, And what's the difference between actually getting the right equipment versus getting the equipment that's the the bad equipment? Um, So that's really the general thing. And once you get what you need, then you're able to kind of power through and start to build things around that. It's just too easy to walk into a box store and then buy something for 99 bucks and then plug it
2: into the network and then think that you're uh, you're protected. But, it, you know, reality's uh, really a lot. Uh, it's just much different than that. And commercial firewalls, um, over the long run, the total cost of ownership for a decent commercial-grade firewall can actually be lower uh, than one of the cheap ones. They tend to have pretty long legs and good manufacturer support.
0: All right. So I want to back up a step. So uh, most of the legal profession is either solo uh, solo practitioner or working in a small firm. And so chances are, I mean, they've probably heard the term firewall, but they don't really know what it means and why it's important. So why don't you guys give us a little bit of a definition of what a firewall does and all the things that it protects you from?
2: Well, you got to look at uh, the origins of the term. It's, it was an old construction term, right? And a firewall was designed to spread, uh, the f- uh, uh, to prevent the spread of fire from one part of a structure to another. And a network firewall is similar to that in the respect that it's supposed to uh, prevent the spread of malicious logic from the Internet to the uh, internal network. So it's basically a barrier between your network and uh, the Internet writ large. At least that's the old definition of it. It's modern uh, reality is a lot
1: more complicated than that. But that's uh, it in a nutshell.
0: So when you say malicious logic, you talk about a computer virus and... um...
1: Yes, correct, computer virus, uh, bad actors, right? People from the outside trying to get into your network and potentially get some of your data. Um, So essentially you can almost say it's your first line of defense.
0: Okay, so let's talk about uh, some of the some of the aspects of your presentation. So there's firewall options, and so um, obviously lawyers come to us in all different sizes and types of practice. You know, whether you're a small firm and solo to mid and and large, and, and a variety of practice areas that may or may not be more attractive to hackers and people that want personal information. So let's just get into some firewall options that lawyers can be taking a look at.
1: So especially when you're talking a small firm right Uh, you have the option of an on-site firewall um, where you actually have a physical device in your office right providing that service for you Um, you also have the option of what we call a cloud-based firewall where there is actually no physical appliance in your office but it is hosted somewhere else that tends to be for a little bit bigger firms you know not necessarily the smaller ones because there's a constant cost associated with it Um, and then in addition to that You also have um, what we call, I mean, in terms of options, you have firewalls that have wireless built into them and then firewalls that don't have wireless built into them. So, you know, usually we have a few, uh, how can I say this, a few requirements or, or recommendations, I like to say, that we like people to follow to decide what works best for them in their situation, you know, if you're like sub 30 users, you you know, with an office of like let's say less than 1,500 square feet, you get an on-site firewall with wireless built in, um, and you won't, you know, you should be able to mitigate your risk as best as possible there. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of options, and sometimes you got to try to whittle it down.
0: So, why is the wireless part so important?
1: I mean, look where we are now, right? Everyone has mobile devices, everyone in terms of, and I, I think mobile device is a great word and a loaded word, right? Because mobile device could be anything from your laptop to your iPad, to your Surface Book, you know, your Surface Pro, um, to your cell phone. Um, and wireless connectivity is a huge part of our lives these days, right? I mean. We're down here in this convention hall with no my cell phone doesn't work right but wireless works so and that's the case for a lot of different things so having that wireless connectivity is 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 important just to make sure that people can get to the network resources as required and then on the other side um, having like a guest wireless is important for if your clients are coming in and let's say you guys are doing some some work and they might be in your office for half a day they bring their laptop and you guys need to kind of have data going back and forth that's a way to keep them connected as well through that guest network
0: yeah, and I think that's a, I think it's an interesting point because I'm not I mean to be honest with you I didn't realize that there was a you know a, a different security risk based on the wireless part of it versus just being wired in you know people would attack from the outside of the network but well, it sounds very like- different are oh, very yeah. different. Oh, there's ways
2: to attack wireless certainly if you have physical access to, um, you know, any kind of facility that's using wireless, and uh, they're not managing. Usually they're going to use pre-shared keys in the small business space, uh, and if those pre-shared keys are not managed properly, it's definitely possible to attack that.
1: And just to clarify, what a pre-shared key is, that's essentially a password, right? You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, whatever it is. So um, you know if what happens when one user gets it they tend to spread it like wildfire to everybody else and a guest comes in they go you know oh here here's the key to use and you got to make sure from a business policy perspective to make sure you let the users know that that is not allowed
2: right and it's also important to make sure that those passwords or pre-shared keys are, are long as possible uh, i prefer to use past phrases uh, making up silly phrases that are easy to remember they're cryptographically difficult to crack and easy to remember.
0: So I want to get back to the part with the cloud-based versus the locally stored firewall. And so my experience with that is uh, you know, the, the cloud-based email it doesn't require updates because someone else is doing that for you. So you always have the latest technology in there. And so is that a similar recommendation? I mean, obviously, the, the firewall is only as good as the updates. And if it's locally stored, perhaps it's not getting the updates it needs. Where, as if it's a cloud-based firewall solution, it's always being updated. And you don't have to worry about it from the consumer side. What do you guys say?
1: So you're 100% correct, right? You were essentially with a cloud-based firewall, you were paying someone else to be responsible for it. Um, and that also leads to something else, just so you know that, you know, kind of one and the same, but also what we call firewall as a service, right? Which once again, goes back to another monthly subscription. And even if you have a firewall on premise, it is someone else's responsibility. So they are updating it, they are managing it, they are watching it for you, right? So yes you and I have talked about this in the past, right? Mitigating risk, right? Shifting it from you to somebody else and making it their job. So yes, if you go and just buy a firewall from, you know, even if it's not from a big box, right? You just, you know, you go and you buy a business grade firewall and you're not doing that work to maintain it. Um, You know, Jason here likes to say you got to water it like a lawn. Otherwise, guess what? It's not going to do what you want to do. And it's not going to protect you. It's a constant. It's not just a one-off thing.
2: Yeah, Stan's right about that. As far as any kind of security technology goes, there's no such thing as set it and forget it. Um, good security requires constant vigilance, and that's just that's just the reality of the, the world that we live in.
0: So, second last question for you guys. You know, I'd like to leave our listeners with practical, plug-in immediately, instant takeaways that provide value to them in their practice lives. And so, you know, obviously the uh, the the population of attorneys mostly small firm, mostly solo, and so they're probably out there with their MacBook Pros uh, doing their legal work. They may be working, uh, you know, on their own, locally stored uh, you know, document creation programs and whatnot. But, uh, you know, Stanley and uh, Jason, if they were to talk to you, uh, what kind of tips would you have for them? Keep it simple, you know, obviously, but, uh, you know, what kind of tips would you have for them like services to look at and to increase their security, make sure that 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 confidential client information isn't getting into the wrong hands.
2: You know, for the small business space, I got to be honest with you. I think if you're uh, a solo practitioner, you just have a couple of people, that firewall is a critical piece of your infrastructure. And there's uh, a lot of good managed service providers out there. And so a lot of them are regional guys like Stanley. And I really think in a case like that, when you're dealing with something, A, you can't operate without it. If it's down, you're down. And then B, it's uh, providing a lot of security features. It's really best to uh, call somebody up and then have them uh, manage that firewall for you. For a small company, definitely.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, Jason is right about that. And it's really not going to be a huge and crazy expense. Um, And I will say something else one of those requirements that I would tell you to have that managed service provider do for you is to actually set up a VPN. So what happens is when you're on the road and you're doing things from afar, you can VPN back into your office and kind of tunnel your traffic through so you're not using, you know, right, even in this conference where we are, right, there's a a public Wi-Fi, but you want to make sure that all your data that's going in and out is fully protected from bad actors because guess what? They're not only trying to get you at your office, but also wherever you might be.
0: So building on that, just as a follow-up, you know, obviously a lot of people, it's, a, you know, BYOD, you know, bring your own device to work. And so people have iPhones, they have Android, and they bring it to work. And it's like one device to kind of manage any, uh, manage all of their contacts, manage all of their communication. So do you have any recommendations regarding that? If you've got these add-ons, got employees that Support are
2: using It's poor their- practice. I, I never recommended my clients that they use BYOD, and it's for a variety of legal and technical reasons. There's just too much risk associated with it.
0: So, would you recommend uh, they buy uh, cell phones for their employees?
2: Well, yeah, because the th- the thing is, if you have an an issue, a security issue. Uh, you cannot take, physically take somebody's portable device from them. Uh, So there's issues with the data on it may belong to you, but the device doesn't. And we really need to have a situation where both the device and the data belong to the employer. Uh, In the case of, you know, insider threat or exfiltration or something like that, uh, human resources or IT, they need the ability to go up and then take the device from that person. And if they own it, you can't do that. So it's it's just too much risk in my mind as a security practitioner. I recommend against
0: BYOD. Anything to add to that, Stanley?
1: Yeah, so actually that hit on my first session I did today, which is mobile device management, <laughs> right? Um, and with that, we were actually having a conversation with a tech person who actually works at a company that has 400,000 employees, in case you're wondering. Um, and she was mentioning how in litigation, employees do not want to give IT their cell phones, their personal cell phones. And, you know, back to what Jason was saying, you know. Recommending against that, I think you need to look at your particular business and your business risks, um, and try to assess uh, if you, if you're a multinational company like the company that we were talking about earlier, you know that you're in constant litigation at every you know every turn, you know whether you want to be or not. So you might just say this is not for me. I'm not going to say that's necessarily practical for some of the smaller firms, um, but there are management um, techniques that are available to make sure that you can try to secure the company data, you know, through like mobile application management as best as possible. So that is an option that does exist, um, but it's not full mobile device management where you have complete control over the device, just
0: the company information. Well, before we close it out, you know, if our listeners, they want to follow up the guys, they want to ask some additional questions, uh, learn a little bit more, uh, how can they find you? Why don't we start with Jason? Uh,
2: I can be found through our website, which is www.strongholdcybersecurity.com.
1: It's Stanley. All right. Easy to get me, right? I say, easiest man in America. You can give me a call, 908 688 2444, or you can shoot me an email. Long one. Just should be ready. S L O U I S S A I N T at F L U I D D E S I G N S dot com.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, I've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much, Jason. Thank you, Stanley. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit legaltalknetwork.com.